0: And now the Rabbi Daniel Lappen show. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lapin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, all you happy warriors to the Rabbi Daniel Lain show. where I your rabbi reveals how the world r- really works. And one of the ways the world really works is that uh, inflation comes, and it's very important to understand that inflation is a moral problem. It's not an economic problem. Now, uh, you will hear, uh, certainly in the United States of America, you will hear politicians insisting that, The price increases are because of the Russian President Putin, uh, or it'll be because the money supply got readjusted by the pandemic, or you'll hear it's because of the supply chain problems. And one of the words they like using is transitory, meaning short-lived. And so uh, since it is my job as your rabbi to make it as likely as possible, That all my happy warriors, you and you and all of you, succeed as much as you possibly can in areas of friendship, physical fitness, finance, faith, and what did I say? Finance, faith, friendships, physical fitness, and um, um, family okay, that's the uh, that's the five. and so I've got to do everything I can to help you. Now, the one having to do with finance is very much in fact uh, affected by inflation. But as you're gonna see, so amazingly enough is family. and the reason is because when there is financial stress on a family, uh, it is very difficult in a um, psychosexual way for the for the husband. And it is very difficult for the woman in terms of uh, uh, a diminishing of a sense of security. So, yes, inflation is financial, but there are also rollover effects into family as well. You've got to be aware of that. And so I think the best thing is that we start off getting a feeling for uh, what inflation is. And in order to do that, I have to remind you, although I'm assuming that you have all already studied the 10-hour audio-visual training program on our website called the Financial Prosperity Collection, and I'm assuming that you've all read Thou Shall Prosper, the Ten Commandments for Making Money, and I'm assuming you've all read Business Secrets from the Bible. Well, I guess I'm not really assuming you've done all that, but you should be doing all that. Because uh, today will be much more valuable if you've got that foundation that comes from the 10-hour training course, the Financial Prosperity Collection Online, and the uh, two books, uh, Business Secrets from the Bible, and the uh, 10 commandments for making money, thou shalt prosper. But at any rate, um, as it's important to understand that, but we can already move on at any rate to understand uh, what's going on here, because in order to defend yourself effectively, uh, you've got to have a pretty good idea of what's actually going on, okay? And so uh, let's first of all clarify that Inflation is not like an earthquake. You know, earthquakes come with no warning at all. Sometimes animals reveal um, awareness of an impending earthquake, but for the most part, uh, earthquakes in, in places around the world where earthquakes are prevalent, they come with very little warning notice. Please know, inflation is nothing like that. Inflation is not even like hurricanes Hurricanes come with only a short warning. A few days, a hurricane is building offshore because of warm water temperatures and the winds begin. So you've got a few days. No, inflation is not like that either. Inflation, we have ample warning, plenty clarity. We know well in advance exactly when inflation is going to strike and uh when is that going to happen? Well, in order to fully understand that, um, I think we've got to know what money is. I've just laid out a sequence of how, the, how I'd like to present these ideas. Um, money is what? Well, if any of you were unfortunate enough to study Econ 101 at your local kindergarten, then um, the professor will have said something like, money is a medium of exchange, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Forget about all that. Money is very simply um, produced when one human being serves another human being. It's as simple as that. And money measures how much you served another human being. And that is provided you did not coerce the money from somebody – Provided you did not use a 357 Magnum revolver to persuade somebody to part with his money and give it to you, and uh, provided you did not use any other form of force or fraud, uh, if it was a free market, consensual, transparent transaction, then the fact that you've got money from somebody else means you served that somebody else. That's all it means. And uh, you've got to understand that that's what money is. In other words, money is fundamentally spiritual, not physical. Uh, it's important to get that. I've covered it extensively in previous shows, and you definitely need to uh, to, to get clarity on that point and what I mean by that. Now, I'm not speaking about money being religious. I'm not speaking about having anything to do with piety or faith or God uh, in, an, in as much as I say the word spiritual, meaning that uh, money. There's nothing about money that can be measured in a lab. There's also nothing about money that's absolute. By and large, within reasonable limits, the um, uh, you know the uh, the the weight of the telephone I'm holding in my hand is not going to change from today to tomorrow or the day after that. But the dollar bill I'm holding. That may have a totally different value tomorrow. It certainly had a very dramatically different value a year ago. And so in that sense, it is a a spiritual commodity. Now, let me uh, go into a thought experiment, if I might, because um, I want to clarify uh, that uh, I'd like to help you cope with inflation, and I think I can but uh, it is important that it takes place inside our heart and our mind and our soul you've really got to be able to grasp this so as you can deal with it because there's not a sort of magic wand that i can wave uh, or i can give a pill for every single happy warrior to take no i'm going to give you the tools so as that each of you you and you can work it out and figure out what's best to do for yourself and for your own situation so uh I want to tell you that um, let's look at a place where inflation didn't happen. For about 100 years of the British Empire, now the British Empire started in, I'd say, 1707, which was when the Act of Union took place, England and Scotland, and that was sort of pretty much the start of what we know of as this period of 250 years of the British Empire, ran from 1707 to 1957, which I think can safely be said to be the point of dissolution of the empire per se, about 250 years, as I've covered in an earlier show a little bit of a while back. If any of you are interested, I explained why it is that uh, most societies, most countries, most cultures have a duration of about 250 years, and it's shockingly reliable. I mean, it's it, it, it really is shocking when you see how reliable that figure of 250 years is. It's also particularly disturbing for uh, those of us living in the United States of America, uh, which is uh, rapidly approaching its 250th year of existence. Uh, At any rate, let us uh, look at the period of roughly 1800 to 1900, where the price of a pair of shoes Versus the price of a bushel of wheat never varied for that whole period. In other words, there was virtually no inflation during that time. How did it come about? Well, it's very simple. Uh, The um, Bank of England had a policy of convertibility between pounds sterling and gold. And so what happened was that uh, the the, uh, Bank of England arranged for the printing of money and At a certain point, they noticed that people were bringing in money to the bank and asking for gold. And the reason that happened is that in the marketplace, the marketplace is more sensitive than the most sensitive instrument. And with the uh, sensing apparatus of huge numbers of people, the word gets around, you know what? There's too much money out here. Its value is going to be dropping. Let's go get gold. The minute people started coming in to exchange pounds for gold, Bank of England said, stop the presses. No more printing of money. There's too much out there. And then uh, a little time would go by. And um, people would come in, you know, it's difficult to do business with ounces of gold, literally bullion bars of gold. And so they would bring those in and take currency back so that they could do business. Bank says, OK, great. Wait a little bit and then we'll print some more money. Why? What's going on? Basically, the challenge, not easy, but the challenge for any honest government is to somehow find a way of measuring the level of economic productivity. In other words, how much are citizens doing for one another? How much are they creating in terms of value by interchanging with one another goods and services and everything else? How does that work? And uh, it's very difficult to do. I mean, and from the year 1800 to 1900, no computers. What's more, the British Empire was Canada and New Zealand and South Africa and I mean all these places. So and they're all using pound sterling, and so all of these places are creating money, and it's all being controlled by London. And London has to be very careful not to print too much money. How do they do it? Because the convertibility of gold made it possible and made it easy to for them to know. And this becomes hugely important. Because that was pretty much how America was. From about the middle of the 19th century, America was pretty much tied to gold. And what that does is it helps to keep government honest. Well, I'm sure you understand that um, government doesn't like to be held to an honesty standard because it obstructs and and i I love the way government's always it stops us doing good it stops us doing all the wonderful things that government does please don't for a moment think that government has the capacity to create money governments can print money and they can take away money and redistribute it but they can't create money money can only be done when free citizens in a transparent and consensual marketplace serve one another. That's the only way it works. And it's an almost religious process, which is why the word customer service is similar to the word we use, worship service, in synagogue or church, because both of them involve service. And the best thing of all is when you really understand that serving your fellow human beings has an element in it of serving God, because our Father in heaven loves it when we serve one another, and it is in no way diminished by the fact that our motives may not be total purity, right? We may be serving one another in the uh, accounting on a return in the way of form of payment or profit. Yeah, that's true, but it doesn't detract from the fact that we did serve, and, and that's very, very important to understand. So at any rate, along comes Franklin Delano Roosevelt, popularly known as FDR, and he's got great ideas, the great society. He's going to end the Depression, He's but he's, he needs a lot of money to do it, much more than he can collect from taxing the citizens of the United States. What does he do? Well, he wants to print it. But the problem then is that, uh, that if he goes ahead and prints money, uh, the population is going to be aware of it because... They own gold. And when the population has gold, they own a a barometer of the value of money, which is hugely important. And so that way, the population would get very upset and they'd say, wait a second, when we try and sell our gold, we're discovering that uh, the price of gold is going up, that must mean the value of the dollar is going down. And that must be because you are uh, printing money that hasn't been earned, money that has not yet fairly been created. So, in 1933, uh, FDR, President Roosevelt, uh, essentially um, takes us off the gold standard. And... um, A little while, well, that's, I mean, basically at that point, the dollar is officially no longer pegged to gold. And he also makes it, uh, it it becomes an issue about people owning gold. And finally, President Nixon in 1971 actually makes it illegal for people to own gold bullion. He basically makes it formal and official that the, the government frowns on gold ownership, and the reason obviously is because that's what enabled the government from FDR and the Great Society all the way on through the 60s to print money with abandon. And then the government could officially give, hey, these are our inflation figures, don't worry, it's, it's just low, it's nothing. And people had no independent way of measuring what the value of their money really was, other than in watching prices rise for the regular commodities in the cost of living index. So, or the Consumer Price Index, whatever you want to call it. And so, um, uh, eventually, it was 1974, I think, President Ford once again made it okay. He made it legal for Americans to own gold. And, um, and that's, that's what happened. Uh, but... Let me give you an example now. Let me give you a thought experiment of what might happen. Imagine if you would, you wake up one morning, you open your front door, you look out, there's a nice big duffel bag sitting there. And you, that's funny, I wonder who left that. And you unzip the duffel bag, and there's just piles of $100 bills in there, stacked in in, uh, piles of thousands. And you do a quick calculation, and you say, wait a sec, there's a million dollars of cash in here. <laughs> and and you you look at the duffel bag again. Is this the result of a drug deal gone bad? Are people going to be out hunting you? And then you notice a little label on the side, and it says, uh, a gift to you from President So-and-so in the United States government. Well, at this point, you're in love with this guy. You think, oh, wow, how wonderful to have a president who gives me a million dollars. That's really fabulous. And you can't decide which of your friends to call up first to share your good fortune with. So you you pick up the phone and you decide, well, you'll call your Aunt Agatha. And you call your Aunt Agatha, you won't believe what happened. And before you can even talk, she starts babbling away to to her favorite nephew. And she says, before you even tell me what you called me about, I've got to tell you something. I found a million dollars outside my door this morning. Your heart lurches a little bit that's not what you expect you to hear. So uh, you say to him, yeah, that was what I called to tell you about also. And then she's also a little puzzled. You call up her friend before you can start talking. He says, do you know what I found outside my door? And you say, yeah, a million dollars in a duffel bag, right? And pretty soon you discover that everybody in the country woke up this morning to find a million dollars of cash in a duffel bag, a gift from the government. Now, You say to yourself, well, what harm can this do, right? I mean, all it means, we've just injected cash into the economy. It's a stimulus measure, right? It's only a good thing. What's the harm? And the fact that everybody got it, well, you know, there's a part of you that was feeling a little bit selfish anyway. So now you can be happy. You can spend your money because everybody got it as well. Well, you've always wanted a BMW car. And so you go down to the BMW dealership And you realize now you can buy a top-of-the-line Series 7, and uh, with fully loaded, it's going to run you $100,000, shall we say. And uh, this is not a problem. This is like 10% of, of what you have there. This is not a problem at all. And you go over to the dealer, and you notice that there's a line. You've never, I mean, you've visited that dealer before. You've never seen a line before. But guess what? There's actually a line of people. And you think to yourself, yeah, I probably shouldn't have waited f- uh, for breakfast. I-, I should have gone right away. Anyway, now you're like 10th in line. And you stand in line. Eventually, you get to the front of the – and you notice a number of people walking away from the line after they reach the desk in the front. You finally reach the desk. You come to the sales manager, and you say, hi, I'm here for a uh, uh, a Series 7 BMW, fully loaded. And he says, okay, fine, um, and you say, well, can I have it? He says, well, do you know the price? And you say, yeah, it's about 100000 That's fine. I'm okay. He says, um, no, it's actually uh, 210000 You say, what? When did the price go up? He says, this morning. We've got six of them in stock, and when I opened the dealership this morning, there were 75 people waiting. What do you do? How do you decide who gets it? What do you do when people further back in the line say, "Hey, you know what? I'm willing to pay uh, 120,000 if you give me one of the six of them. Somebody else said 130,000." Well, a- an auction is exactly the right way to solve the problem of who gets it. I mean, why 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 should we allow a fight to break out? And in any event, the uh the, the role of a dealer, of course, is to make a profit. And so he's not profiteering or exploiting or anything else. He's saying, we're going to have an auction. And what we discover is that the value of the car now is about $210,000 because what's happened is that by distributing a million dollars to every citizen, the value of the dollar has been dramatically driven down. That, my friends, is what inflation is. And uh, what has happened to the United States is that um, there has been a lot, not a million dollars, but a lot of money has been delivered. Now, you may think, say to yourself, well, I didn't get that much of it. That's true, because you're not privileged and connected. But if you, um, if you want to really be shocked, go and discover how much various companies got handed as part of the stimulus, as part of the recovery, as part of COVID relief. Call it what you like. But these were attempts to buy political favors because when a company is granted $50 million as COVID relief and that uh, company now turns around and makes major contributions to the political campaign of various elected representatives, you've got a fair idea of how things work in these here United States, and uh, that is exactly, unfortunately, where we went. And so that gives you an idea of what inflation is, and how it works. And the, now the question is, well, what do you what do you do about it? And the answer is that. Uh, the inflation rate at the time of this uh, of this podcast, at uh, late April 2022, uh, the the rate of inflation is certainly much higher than the official government figures, and you can tell that because if you fill your uh, car with gas, you've got a pretty good idea of how that's changed over what you might have paid a year ago, and uh, if you buy a uh, Uh, A grocery cart full of groceries, well, you've got a pretty good idea of what goes on there as well. You're also aware that the size of various grocery packages has gone down in order to attempt to conceal the shock of the price rise. So uh, 8% inflation, don't even believe it. Um, I would say, and I I have not measured this, I've not done a scientific research, but in talking to a lot of people and my own experiences – Certainly in excess of 10 percent at the moment, uh, annualized. And that is, um, that's a very serious rate of inflation. So that means that if you've got 100,000 dollars in your savings account, that means that in a year from now you're only going to have 90,000 worth. It may be a lot less than that. So what do you do? And um, I'm going to give you the answer. Now, one of the things about happy warriors is we don't lie to each other, and we, last of all, we don't lie to ourselves. And so um, we, we tell the truth, and as happy warriors, we can take it. We can take it right on the chin and then get right up and move on. And so getting it right on the chin here right now, uh, there's not much. There's really not much that you can do about this. Um, okay, so what, I mean, let's just discuss two things right away. There are two kinds of treasury bonds you can buy in the United States. One of them is called an I-series bond. I don't know if, I don't know if that stands for inflation. I'm not sure what, uh, I, no, I, I can't see what it, I can't see what it stands for. Uh, but, um, anyway, that, uh, that combines a rate of return of, um, uh, a, uh, a fixed rate of return, plus an inflation-adjusted rate of return. To give you an idea, that's paying about 7% now. Well, 7% is obviously better than, you know, a half a percent you might get at your savings account at, at the bank, but it's also not keeping up with inflation. Additionally, um, you're limited to uh, about 15000 I think it's $15,000 a person, and... Um, it's not completely liquid, but it's not bad. So you should certainly be aware of I-series treasury bonds. And then you should also be aware of uh, uh, treasury inflation protected securities, TIPS, T-I-P-S. And uh, those things are also relatively short term. Uh, you take a hit if you redeem them uh, s- you know, within a short period of time. At any rate, I'm not going to go into the details now, but there are these securities that will return uh, a little bit more. Obviously, uh, you could do better in the equities market, in the stock market, if uh, immediate liquidity is not an issue for you. Uh, but if an inflation rate continues seriously, and in order to do something about it before the midterm elections of, uh, of um, uh, excuse me, the uh, November 2022 elections uh, the midterm elections the government may well dramatically raise interest rates in an attempt to curb the money supply and lower the inflation rate trouble is that could tip the united states economy into a recession it could happen and and if that happens well um you know you've got to really be careful in terms of where you've put your money um, the stock market may be a real problem. I'm not even sure that there won't conceivably be a bit of a real estate um, readjustment. So what do you do? How do you protect your money? The answer is only one thing. And this is not going to be easy to hear, but you're a happy warrior. So I'm going to tell you, you have to increase your revenue. You've got to make more money. You've got to either make more money doing what you're doing, or you have to change what you're doing, or you have to add to what you're doing. A side hustle. Come up with something that you can develop on the side to build another revenue stream. But I don't think you can stop the erosion of your money. That's the problem. Uh, all you can do is make enough more to make up for it. So if you are able to increase your earnings in the next 12 months by, shall we say, 15% over last year, well, then you're okay. You are beating the rate of inflation. What inflation is doing in eroding what money you have is being made up for by the additional money you're making. Uh, my, my dear happy warriors, I wish there was an easier solution. I wish I could tell you some kind of true feel-good panacea. Uh, there isn't. And um uh, as I say, you you know you can you can ease the pain a little bit with certain types of treasury uh, bonds, but in the final analysis, you have to make more money. That's what you've got to do. And um, I've been I've been preaching this for a long time, uh, not only because of inflation, but uh, for other reasons as well that you've heard me talk about in the past. And these are things that uh, you do know about and things that you're uh, you're serious about. And so uh, how do you make more money? Um, Well, number one, I would say um, you've got to look around to see what people need. The next thing you've got to ask yourself is dig deep and see what skills and knowledge do you have? What specialized knowledge do you have? And you'll be amazed to discover that there really are things you know how to do better than other people. And whether it's teaching other people or doing th- whatever it is, you've really got – and by the way, talking to somebody else, brainstorming with somebody is a really good idea for this as well. Uh, and you can do it for one another uh, where you you do an inventory with a friend. Hey, let's take some time out this weekend. Uh, let's sit down somewhere privately just ourselves for two and a half hours, and I will give – I need your help helping me do – an inventory to figure out how I can develop more revenue. And likewise, I'll do the same for we you. We'll go through this together. That's very, very worthwhile. Also, it's worth bearing in mind that um, this may be a good time to create a partnership. This may be a time to team up with somebody else. And um, and the way, you know, just let people know what you have in mind. And you may well make a new friend. You may find somebody who has exactly the complementary skill that you don't have. You know, let's say uh, you, you've always turned out to be a really good party planner, or, you know, you, you're just good at organizing, but you're not good at running a business. And so, you, and whatever it is whatever your widget is, you're not good at running the business or the other way around. You're great at, at financial statements and uh, profit and loss, but you just don't, you can't think of anything to do. Find somebody who has the matching skill. That's what you need, right? An inside guy and an outside guy, an inside person, outside person. Uh, you need somebody who can create the widget in the workshop and you need somebody who can um, administer it and, uh, and uh, make sure the, the, the money and the pricing and everything, the business side of things. So, um, th- So figure out what people need partner with somebody else to talk with somebody else start off trying to use skills knowledge and experience you already have because you may just not have the time and the extra energy now to go and find new skills or acquire new credentials if that does work for you then take that avenue i'm not i'm not ruling it out but all i'm saying is address seriously the issue now of increasing your revenue stream now uh I'd like to go on for just a little bit more have we got uh, time to go on just a little bit more maybe we do okay so um what I would like us to be able to to look into is the um the the question of drive you see here's the problem the problem is that um a lot of what i'm talking about is the natural province of men rather than of women. Uh, The beating the bushes, going out on a hunt, um, finding people that you asked for a transaction, a lot of that comes more naturally to masculinity than to femininity. Now, there's no question that there are certain women who are more masculine and there are certain men who are more feminine. And so it's not hard to find women, certain women who can do this a lot more effectively than certain men. But let's talk about the broad middle. Let's talk about that uh, normal curve distribution where most of us are not at the tail ends of this bell-shaped curve, but we're sort of clustered around the middle of it, all of us. And uh, and so it, it does mean that uh, for most of us, the, uh this is going to be easier to do for a man than it is for a woman, everything I'm talking about. The thing is that our masculinity has taken a hit over the last few decades in the United States of America and maybe in other countries, although I'm not, I'm not fully up to speed with all other countries. But in the United States of America, there has been a measurable drop in testosterone in men. There's been a measurable drop in uh, sperm. effectiveness, sperm production, everything is down. And um, here is the most important thing to understand. Given that masculinity is an enormous advantage in building up additional revenue, basically in putting your club over your shoulder and leaving the cave and going out on a hunt, masculinity is a help here. So I'm not suggesting that you take testosterone injections by any means, but I'm going to tell you something which is hugely important and, uh, and I think perhaps quite shocking. And that is that um, we can impact our hormonal levels by what we do. I'll give you an example, and I've mentioned this before. There was a period way back in the, uh, I'm going to say the 1970s or 80s, where um, there were some psychologists who were encouraging men. This was kind of the beginning of the We Hate Masculinity movement. This was the beginning of we've got to, we've got to make men more like women. And, uh, and so they said, well, men have to get in touch with their feelings. Men have to learn to cry. Now, as any man knows, in the workplace, in a business situation, in a factory or in an office, when a, a woman worker breaks down in tears, it is the most awkward and difficult set of circumstances. It's so tough for men to have to deal with, and, but it does happen. So what they were saying at this point, hey, guys, you also have to be able, able and willing to let it go and let it come out. They discovered something fascinating, and I predicted it at the time, and that is when you measure the testosterone level of guys before they go into a crying jag, and after you'll find the testosterone level has gone down. Now, very shocking, uh, very counterintuitive. You impact your hormonal levels by what you do. Uh, at and many, many years ago, decided to uh, hire women linemen Linemen are people who follow uh, the lines through hills and valleys and they fix broken wires. So there was some problem. I mean, the toolbox is very heavy. The w- women were not able to lug the toolbox. They put the toolbox on wheels. They did everything they could to increase the number of women uh, doing lineman duty. Uh, Linemans makes me think of have you ever seen a really good pair of pliers? It's very often called a lineman pliers. It's a wonderful, for those of you who like tools as much as I do, I'm sure you own a good set of lineman pliers, but that's where the name comes from. Anyways, what they discovered is that um, these women who uh, for a few months had been working as linemen or line ladies, line people, um, their bodies, their hormonal um, uh, circumstances changed dramatically dramatically. I don't want to go into all the details, but many aspects of many feminine aspects of their bodies that started behaving very differently. And uh, this was, again, one of the first times we began to realize that you actually can impact your hormonal circumstances by what you actually do. So uh, crying, um, reduced testosterone, and conversely, taking on responsibility uh, engaging in physical exercise, focusing on physical fitness, um, caring for other people, taking on the responsibilities literally for others. All of these things adjusted testosterone upwards. So uh, speaking now to, uh, to the male happy warriors, uh, you guys, you embarking on this program now seriously of saying now is the time for me to increase my earnings. Let me tell you something to go to your boss and insist on getting a raise, that takes testosterone. There are lots of ways of saying that, but bottom line is it takes testosterone. You're going to have to develop that. It comes very often from training yourself not to evade uh, uncomfortable circumstances. Every single time you face an uncomfortable circumstance instead of deflecting it or, or deferring it, You do something for your testosterone level. Your masculinity builds up. Every time you engage in an act of self-discipline, whatever it is, you are building up your masculinity. You're making yourself a better and stronger man. This really, really, really is an enormously valuable tool when it comes to uh, doing what needs to be done to increase your earning power, to increase your revenue during the next 12 months. And as as we've said, uh, I don't think there's any doubt that that is a necessary thing for all of us to be doing. And so um, you've got to build up your masculinity. I don't care what your actual testosterone level is. It doesn't matter. Bottom line is do masculine things, do manly things. And if you don't know what they are, go and look in a used bookstore uh, for old-fashioned books on manliness, being a man, things that uh, were, were there mostly for developing young men. Uh, these were given to young men entering adolescence. Just take a look at them and you'll get some ideas of the actual actions, the things you can do in order to build up the masculinity. Now, um, you're a woman, okay? Let's talk about whether you are, if you are a married woman, If you're a married woman, you can help your husband build up his masculinity. And if you thought for a few minutes, I bet you'd figure it out all for yourself. You wouldn't need me to tell you the very best way of accomplishing that. At any rate, uh, let us put it this way. Uh, You at your most feminine brings out your husband at his most masculine. I don't, I don't think I can put it more clearly than that. Uh, you can do an enormous amount. Your man's masculinity really can be impacted dramatically by you, hugely. Um, there is uh, some data I have on testosterone measurements of men in an, in an Antarctic um, research base It was a men-only environment, and they measured testosterone levels of men um, after they spoke to their wives on the telephone, Uh, men who were anticipating shortly leaving the base and flying back home to be with their families. Very, very fascinating things. Bottom line is, if you're a married, happy warrior lady, uh, there's a great deal you can do to boost the masculinity of uh, your husband, your man, and that will have a dramatic impact on his ability to go out and club some more bison and bring them back to the cave. Um, If you are uh, single, well, then you're working, and uh, everything I've said applies to you as well, which is do everything you can to increase your revenue. Uh, whether it's getting together with another woman and doing some kind of a partnership, whether it's getting an increase or taking on additional responsibilities. But now is a time where you want to try and do everything you can. You really want to stretch yourself to try and increase your actual earning power. This is the time to be doing just that. And um, uh, look, it, it applies to everybody, but I, I would not be uh, being forthright with you if I did not divide male and female. They Very obviously, as I've explained, there are very obviously uh, connections here. And the reason that, the, that inflation is so miserable and so disturbing um, is because it impacts our future. I thought I had $100,000, and the truth is I actually only have ninety because I, I lost. I had 100000 a year ago, but it's been diminishing for a year, and so this is very depressing. And now it means that in a year's time, I'm even going to have less. This is not nice. And so I just want to give you a bit of a background <clears throat> from ancient Jewish wisdom on the uh, root cause of joy and sadness. Uh, sadness is seen in uh, ancient Jewish wisdom surrounding death. When we go into mourning for somebody close to us who dies, that is um, the epitome of sadness. When uh, we go to a wedding, that's an epitome of joy. What is the primary difference between a wedding and a, a death? And the answer is that a death means there's no future that's truncated the life it's terminated there is no more future and the joy of a wedding is predicated on the fact that somehow or another everybody senses that this is a whole new beginning there's a grand future awaiting this beautiful young couple that's the big difference my friends joy is based on future and sadness is based on something that harms the future and so um, if somebody, God forbid, contracts an illness that uh, restricts their ability to do something in the future, whatever it is, that's very, very sad because the future is now harmed. The future is diminished. Do you follow what I'm, I'm getting at here? <clears throat> it's really important to understand. Um, <clears throat> getting a great job and you've got a new job or you've got a raise and you've got income coming in. Part of the joy there is not what happens today. It's what it makes possible for the future. Getting fired, heaven forbid, the worst, the opposite. It's all having to do with the future. This is one of the reasons that having little children around is a huge advantage. And so men, and again, the figures on this are incontrovertible, uh, men with wives who are taking care of their young ones, have the best earning situation because the little ones surround a man with a constant awareness of the future. And that is hugely important, right? Think about it. When, when you build a building or you make an investment, it's not for today. It's for tomorrow. When you plant a, a, a vineyard, it's not because you want wine today. It's because there's a future. All these are joyful activities. Preparing for the future that's wonderful. And having children around really adds to the sense of, hey, there is a future. These little people have a future. Little kids produce happiness wherever they are, provided they're not horrible little monsters. But if they are, it's not their fault, it's their parents' fault, who did them a terrible disservice. So uh, this is uh, important, I think, for us to all, all of us to understand that somehow or another, making a future possible is joyful. And so inflation by itself is pretty sad. It's pretty miserable because it diminishes my future. And if I now can conceive of a way of enhancing revenue, and here's the best part of it, no sooner do you form this partnership with somebody, no sooner do you write a business plan, no sooner do you go to bed the first day after you've figured out what it is you can do, you already are feeling more joyful because the future has become clearer uh, it's very it's very worthwhile deeply absorbing and understanding this idea that our joy is uh, completely connected to our sense of future our sadness and uh, unhappiness very much connected to a stopping the there the is no future hopelessness sadness that's all all speaks of no future and therefore it speaks of misery and sadness and unhappiness. So I think that um, that this should give you something of an idea as we move forward, right? I think something of an idea. The resources are on my website at rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, whether it is the uh, Financial Prosperity Collection, whatever it is, you will find it at the website. You will find these things useful in terms of Gaining ideas, because you've got to be bursting with ideas. And that's, again, a part of masculinity, right? Do we understand that? That um, the way God created men and women is very different. Every woman is born with a certain finite number of opportunities for reproduction. In other words, a fixed and finite number of eggs. Is a man created with a finite and fixed number of sperms? No, not at all. The, the numbers are huge. The numbers are so huge, they're way, by orders of magnitude, way beyond anything he'll actually ever use in his life. What's going on? Masculinity is the bursting out of potential. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so when we increase our masculinity as men, we are increasing our ability to burst out with new creativity, ideas, possibilities, conceptions, if you like, right? That's why we say conceive of an idea, and we also conceive a baby, because the most creative thing that a man and woman can do in their entire lives is to bring a baby into the world and raise that baby. And so similarly, there are a lot of parallels to that in terms of creating a business idea as well huge potential, it's a result of an outpouring of, of limitless creative endeavor, all of that are, uh, is part of a deeper understanding of what it is that I think we all have to look into as we move forward from this very moment. Focus on the things that we've spoken about, and that way your five F's all move forward. And I think you'll see now why I said family and finance are so closely linked, in this particular area that I'm discussing um, in today's show. But uh, until next week, I am your rabbi. Don't forget, for every single happy warrior, and I wish you a week of growth and success and moving upward in your five Fs, your family, your faith, your finances, your friendships, and your fitness. That's where we have to go. Until next week, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lapin. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.